Hello and welcome to Rocket, Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by Casper. I'm Simone DeRoche for video producer at Polygon.com, and I'm joined tonight as always by Christina Warren, senior writer at Gizmodo, and Brianna Wu, Democratic representative for Congress. Woo-hoo. I'm getting really good That's at that it. tongue twister that you've got going on in your life there. I, I'm, I appreciate that, Simone. I'll, um, <laughs> I'll try to pick an easier career next time no, I I'm do sure it. What I'm so. really gunning for here is that my next career move will be the MC for your events. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. There we go. I want to yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, warm up the crowd. I want to uh, yeah, drop that some will be, beats. I have no problems for a politician at all, Simone being there. <laughs> That yes. would not. That would lead to no issues whatsoever None. that could destroy yes. careers. That's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what I've always said to every politician that I come across. I'm like, yo, yeah. You're like, please let me let me be your your <laughs> MC. So so before we start the show today, I have a shout out that I want to give. So I did this week in tech this week. And I had a great time, but something I was like, I was like, wow, this is amazing. So you know, Lisa Laporte over on uh, this week in tech, she's great. I found out she listens to Rocket. She's a fan of the show. What? In fact, she could be listening to us right now. So. Hi, Lisa. If she is listening to us, I mean, just in case anyone out there doesn't know, like, you know, she's a, you know, CEO over at, uh, you know, Twitch. She started as a, you know, chief advertising officer and is just awesome. So, like, that's so cool when somebody that you respect, you find out they listen to your show. That's awesome. That is very yeah. cool. That's so I'm cool. Kind of upset that she's hacked into my Skype and is listening to me now at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday, but <laughs> like, I understand. Well, it's, if I had that they're, power. They're imp- they're in Petaluma, so it's 6 p.m. for them, so that makes it a little less creepy. Yeah, right. The world revolves around me. Okay. <laughs> uh, I was trying to make you feel better, Simone. Oh, well, you tried. Thanks. <laughs> I tried and failed. Sorry about that. So we have some really exciting news this week, uh, which is the confirmation. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I'll let you decide if it's exciting. I think it's kind of exciting because it's, kind of, it's, it's a big promise. Oh. A big promise is being made out there. Apple oh. is completely... Rethinking the Mac Pro. The death bells that we thought had rung have not yet quite rung. So the last iteration of this was in 2013, and we had kind of talked about it on the show before as being like, they kind of just let the ball drop on that one, and can they really pick it back up again? I don't know. Phil Phil, Phil Schiller is saying, yes, we can pick the ball back up, and that they're completely redesigning it to kind of over overcome some of the technical barriers with the form factor of it from before and that they're also releasing a display which is mm-hmm. new news and this is so far in the future that there are not yet any prototypes like no no big reveals just like hey by the way it is happening right don't give up on right. us don't give up on us <laughs> that was it that was it it was like the the conversation like, do you know when you have like a bad boyfriend and like <laughs> you sit down and like they're like oh i swear i could change i can address a b and c and i yeah. know that this is an I, issue baby, that, was apple. that was a- apple they came before <laughs> totally. the pro community and they're like guys we swear we can change like baby baby play, baby please i swear to you i swear so to this you. is I like know. the first there the first couples therapy session between tech yes. journalists and apple well, I mean, it's not really just even tech journalists. I think it's mostly pros. I mean, their 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 conduit is is the tech journalists mm-hmm. who who they spoke with. Um, the 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 five people who were there at at this briefing with Apple. Um, to talk about 
the the new stuff. But I think that the real intended audience was it, it was almost like a Cyrano de Bergiac thing. Like they're they're talking. It's like or, or in this case, you know, like you talk to a friend, you're like, please, you know, I. I She's not talking to me right now. He's not talking to me right now. Let him know. Let him know that, like, I still, I'm here. I love you. I, I, I'm changing. Look at what I can do. I swear, don't leave me. Don't leave me. I want to know me. how many words long this TechCrunch article is. Oh, I can find that out for you. It's real long. Um, but yeah, so, okay, this is, this is, I think, it, it's interesting because it does reveal a little um not only about the de- like the the sales numbers of what they have going on right now but it's also interesting in terms of timing i think like what did you get this comes after they've talked about um some of their new their new product lineup that's coming up but haven't 4, like thousand words four thousand god god it was so it felt so long Props TechCrunch on the really long write-up. But anyway, anyway, so it's, it's again, coming at, like, a slow time of year, and there's nothing really um, – they're not going to be revealing any actual product this year. What do you guys think about the timing of this this little announcement, this heart-to-heart, as it <laughs> well, were? Bef- before, I, before I comment on that, I just have to note that Christina Warren could write a 40,000-word piece <laughs> on the Mac Pro without even looking anything up. Just like off the top of her head, very easily. So I'm not impressed with four thousand words. I'm impressed with four thousand. And, and yeah. uh, John Gruber's write up for Daring Fireball was three thousand. Oh, so that was pretty good. That was. I thought, good. I, th- I thought his write up was really good. I thought TechCrunch's write up was really good. Everybody who was who was there who did a write up did did a really nice yeah, job. Yeah, um, I, I agree. In terms of the timing, I'd love I'd love your thought, Bree, because you would maybe have more have a different insight into this. But I have to think that this is you're starting to get into people's fiscal year times, like planning time for for procurement and for people making decisions about purchasing, um, especially in the pro space. And at this point, because the Mac Pro has been, um, you know, by their own admission, kind of, you know, languishing, um, and, and there are a lot of reasons for that, and they have to rethink what's happening with the Mac Pro, um, I think that they have a lot of, of, of customers who are saying, okay, what do you have for us? And if you don't have anything for us, do I need to switch to another platform? And that's a potentially really scary prospect, right? Because for a long time in the creative space, in in some of the high-end spaces, Apple has been key, but as as different software has moved um, to be more cross-platform, and as you know, the the operating system itself has mattered less and less. Um, and we've talked about this before on Rocket about you know, different studies of professionals who have had to move away, uh, you know, from, from from Apple because they just haven't had the hardware to support it. I think that that they needed to kind of come out and say. We don't have anything for you yet, but we're working on it as a way to kind of buy time so that people who are making purchasing decisions can say, well, we can at least get the price drop on the Mac Pro so that the, the existing Mac Pro, um, they kind of bumped everything up a tier and lower the price. So so if you do need to get some stuff, you can at least get those you know, cur- uh, the, the, the current units uh, available. And we've got really important stuff in the pipeline. So if you are able to hold off and, and please hold off, that's kind of the underlying message. Please, please wait. <laughs> please um, believe how this. long do you think people can wait? I mean, I think it depends on your industry and what you're doing. If you're a video production house, um, you know, if you're doing a lot of 4K stuff, mm-hmm. you might have to be looking at getting some PCs to supplement your Mac workflow. And I say yeah. that because yeah. a lot of production houses now at this point are on Adobe Premiere. 
and and not on Final Cut 10. So if you're on Final Cut 10, then you're kind of don't have a choice. But but you could maybe sup- hope to supplement things with the upcoming IMAX that they say are going to have some pro features that will be launching later this year, uh, which is exciting. Um, and you know maybe um, look at, at getting at least the 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 six core Mac Pro uh, with the dual D five hundreds. You know for 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 cheaper than you were before. That's a sexy machine too. The 12 core is actually not a bad deal right now. It's $7,000. It's not. And you know, Christy, I have to say, I feel like a lot of the, the, the paradigm as we talk about this is just wrong. Um, so let me, let me give you guys a quick story. Like I was out at a uh, photo shoot, a really professional photo house last week. And I go in and this is a guy like a professional's professional. He's been doing this since the eighties. And I go in and he has like a, a 2009 Mac pro it's set up. He's got like scores, like literally just layers of like lacy powered drives that he just has daisy chained together to go into the computer. That is the reality of most Mac Pro buyers. Like it's a certain percentage of them are like John Syracuse and buy them for the games. But for a lot of people, like my Mac Pro sits underneath my desk. Mm-hmm. I throw light mask calc at it. Um, honestly, I don't update the software on it ever just because I want it to like be stable as possible. I mean, these are work machines that right. you, you really make a, um, a capital investment in and then in right. fact depreciate, like you get a depreciation table out and then, you know, eat that um, loss. Like these are, these are machines with server quality parts that uh, have very high heat tolerances that don't fail. And I sometimes, um, I sometimes am a little struck when we're talking about this, that very few of the people um, that write about this are actually, you know, like buying an entire, you know, rendering farm for a 3D team, right? It's just a different mindset behind it. So um, I think you're dead on, Simone, that it's the the timing of it is exactly like you said, like it's another year, nothing is coming out in the pipeline. Uh, you know, they're catching holy hell from, you know, podcasts like ATP. Um, <laughs> and there's this sense that it's just over, Right. So they tried to come forward and like uh, assuage some of those fears. Um, but, you know, I, I, we can get into this later, but to me, the really big thing that I think a lot of Appleist journalists are missing in this is it's really easy to have Apple come out with sexy new hardware. And I love that too. But the problems around the Mac Pro line are much, much bigger than just lack of hardware. And I'd love to talk about that. Yeah, please, please get into it. So, you know, the thing is, we've talked about this on the show. A lot of people that write about um, Macs use Photoshop and Premiere and Final Cut. And those are all pro apps and those are fine and those are important. But there's an entire range of other industries that um, really, really need the power of the Mac Pro. The one I think is very, very important is 3D work. And I, I simply don't see any Apple journalist in the world today that writes or even understands the problem that Apple has with their 3D line. You know, um, you don't have the whole suite of tools uh, for 3D work on Mac, um, like uh, 3D Max is a very popular tool. We pretty much just have Maya. Um, and that's fine. Maya is a great program. 
but um, it's really suffered from an extreme lack of updates over the last few years. I'm still running Maya 2011 just because the updates are so rare now that there's not really a reason to spend $4,000 and upgrade. So um, what you have is um, a line of tools around 3D that's just been completely neglected. ZBrush is a hot mess at this point. It's a fantastic industry standard tool in Windows. I can't recommend the Mac client to anyone. And the Mac Pro was built for ZBrush. Um, you know, when it comes to rendering, I cannot recommend any Mac product for that when it comes to running Unreal. Um, I love Unreal. Like this is the 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 engine I've chosen to make my industry like best tool. You know, this is why I would this is what I would get hired from if I were going out tomorrow and asking someone to hire me. I can't recommend running that on Mac because it's such a hot mess. Even though Apple will you know, put out Epic at their you know um, keynotes and like show off metal, the reality is it's unusable. So the problem is that Apple is going to have these updates with Adobe and Final Cut, and that's fine. But it's the entire ecosystem around professional tools on the Mac that they really have ignored to the point that um, it, there's not really a compelling reason to be on Mac. Motion is the Apple alternative to After Effects. Right. It is pretty much ignored at this point. Um, if I'm looking for templates, I can buy a few for Motion, but all the real ones are on After Effects these days. It's the same thing with 3D tools, with a lot of plugins that you use. So there's this entire um, lack of industry trust around the Apple ecosystem that a simple, you know, new Mac is not going to fix. Mm -hmm. It's so similar to the problem on the iPad Pro. The problem with the iPad Pro is not the hardware. The hardware is great. It's the fact that there's still not really a professional version of Photoshop or Illustrator or Final Cut. So this is more of a situation where Apple doesn't just need to refresh their hardware, but you think they, there also needs to be maybe a, a dedicated software team working on these kinds of tools? I think it's a hard problem to crack. Like Christina and I met on app.net. That mm -hmm. is a place that shows you can't pay people to develop for your platform. It's right. kind of a losing incentive. The economic incentives have to be there. There is very little economic incentive right now for people that aren't videographers to develop software for Mac. And it's just, it's, it, it's the truth. I mean, Christina, do you agree? I, I, I mean, you obviously have way more knowledge in this particular area than I do. And so I don't know. I mean, I think that it certainly is less than it has been. And I think that, you know, Apple, obviously, the fact that they, you know, took all the time to talk to these journalists and that and that they're making um, their making their decisions about the Mac Pro and about their commitment to the Mac so public proves that they care about the Mac a lot, right? And and I, I think that's really important. Like, they clearly care about the Mac, and this is clearly their way of saying to the professional consumers, we care about you too. We, we're sorry if you feel ignored. We care about you too. But yeah, I mean, I think that you're right that there are less reasons. Like, a decade ago, when, you know, the disaster that was Windows Vista was coming out, you had a much, I think, easier sales pitch to convince people um, in the pro space why, you know, Apple was better. And now, you know, not only is Windows pretty good, 
Um, but as you said, the kind of the software landscape has changed. Um, but also, you know, you, you have a lot of things that have moved to the cloud and, and a lot of people are using, you know, server based, uh, you know, stuff for, for, for pro apps and, and for tools. And so your, your need, I guess, to maybe have some of this hardcore software, um, that, that runs locally has dissipated a little bit. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think you make some good points. I don't, as somebody who loves the Mac, it, it that that's hard for me to hear, and I'm sure it, it's hard for them to hear. But I, I am at least emboldened that they are they're at least talking about this. Although you have to think, you know, cynically, they're talking about this because they have to. You know what I mean? There's a perception out there that Apple's next big thing is going to be augmented reality, basically right. a competitor to Hololens, right? What I don't see Apple journalists talking about or even understanding is just how poor Apple's 3D tools are. They are a joke. They are game industry baby talk built into the iOS um, you know, dev kit. Scene kit is, it's, I mean, you can do basic stuff for, you know, children's games and really not a lot more beyond that. So what I think people, I the piece I see journalists not getting with this is this goes beyond the Mac Pro. Right now, Apple does not have an ecosystem to support developers uh, with an augmented reality product. Those people will be forced to go to Windows unless this is like a swift moment where they've been building up technologies behind the scenes and they're just going to do a big reveal. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. and, and that, that's, that, that's an interesting point. What do you think about the, the information? We, we don't have this on our list, but there was uh, news that broke earlier this week that uh, the company that makes PowerVR, makes the, the, the graphics chip for the iPhone, that Apple's basically informed them that within two years, they're not going to need their services anymore. So they're, they're building their own GPU, essentially, for the iPhone. What that makes do you, a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense because you know they already kind of design their own, you know, design their own chipsets and whatnot. They could do it themselves, but but I wonder if that is a what that means for AR um, and 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 for the kind of like like you said, kind of their Hololens like ambitions. Um, but B, what it could potentially uh, mean that they might already have in the pipeline for maybe tools like like to to say like you like you were saying a, a swift moment you know i i don't know if that if, if, if those would anyway be kind of related or not but it kind of seems to me if they're building or pretend if it looks like the direction they're going in is is to build their own gpu in house that they might be further along i mean obviously they they are a very secretive company and, and have a million things pipeline but maybe they have tooling in the works, too, that we don't know about. It, it would make a lot of sense with Metal, too, right? Like, Metal's entire optimization is getting rid of this very thick OpenGL layer, which is very inefficient on Mac OS, um, and getting you to basically do these uh, machine language optimized chips on a you know, per-chip basis, right? They've been trying to get developers, I think, unsuccessfully, to adopt the Metal API. If that's kind of more uniformly used, I think that's an easier sell. But the the bigger issue there, Christina, is um, you know look at Final Fantasy uh, fourteen, which right. came out on Mac. It runs like garbage. Uh, it runs so poorly that they have to, you know, they had to uh, actually pull it from the store at one point. And they were looking at it at that point and saying, it makes no sense for us to recode this in metal because no one's going to buy this on Mac. So it's this right. crappy translation layer product that makes my GPU spike, my laptop right. get so hot it's going to set me on fire. 
um, you know, they've got to address this. It's a really hard thing to do to get developers interested enough in an ecosystem. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And the, I know it, it mentions in the TechCrunch article that it's a one a single digit percentage of people that are like really engaged with the Mac Pro. And I'm sure that the, like those people are probably very when you're that level of a professional, you get really attached to your tools. Like I can't imagine swapping over to Final Cut from Premiere at this point. Um, It would suck a lot. But um, so I'm sure that Apple... But but people did. Yes. Like six years ago, people did. I'm sure that they did. I never want to go through that. (laughs) But anyway, the, the... my point is that, like, I'm sure that Apple wants to keep those people yes. very happy, like, in their ecosystem and, you know, be able to board them onto other Apple products. So I understand that, like, no matter how small that this core group of people might be, like, it's super important. Well, yeah. And I, mean, and I think small is all relative, right? Because mm-hmm. you're talking about, you know, they sell, like, like thousands like, what, and like thousands tw- of dollar systems. Well, exactly. I mean, your average selling price on them is, is a lot higher. And B, if you're even talking like like a couple of percentage points or single digit percentage points for, you know, okay, they sell what, like 22 million max a year, give or take, that could still, that's still a, a not insignificant chunk yeah. of hardware. Um, and, and then when you, again, like, I, I think this goes back to the timing when you have big shops that, that buy a lot of these things in bulk, you know, mm-hmm. you are potentially talking about, in, in, in addition to individual customers, you know, bigger customers, you know, um, big shops where that, that it's not inconsequential. You don't want to lose that business. And I think that it's always difficult when you have, so, you're making so much money from so many other areas to kind of mm-hmm. have your focus on something that's not making you as much money. It's still making you money and it's still important, but it's obviously like a, a much smaller piece of the pie. But I think that, you know, that, uh, it's clear that they they still care about that. I, I'm I'm interested in a couple things. One, the the fact that they are doing their own display again because that was I mean it's it's proven. Um, I think you know the LG partnership that there were some issues they had to um, stop selling the the LG um, collaborative you know the the, the um, 5K and 4K displays and because they didn't have the shielding on them or whatever then they could then you know added them back to the store. Um, and and the design on that just it's not the same. It's a cinema display. Um, you know, I think that it's uh, it's good that they're going to be coming out with their own display solutions because a lot of people really liked how those things work together. And I'm also mm-hmm. I'm pr- I'm really excited about the fact that, that they're talking about you know um, uh, an iMac with um, more pro like features because I think that for right now for a lot of people if you're not doing a lot of the really heavy end stuff and you know maybe some of the stuff that, like Brie does and maybe some of like the game development things and even then you, you might be better off an iMac I mean this is something that that, that Marco and, and the guys at ATP have talked about a lot you know is is a really good solution for a lot of people so, it definitely works for video editing and I, I can speak to that like everyone at you know my company has iMacs or MacBook Pros for video editing so yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if that you know bridges bridges the gap for the people, people who do yeah. want to wait and then upgrade to the Mac, the new Mac Pro, um, or if with the um, improvements to the iMac, whether like for video editing, that then becomes you know like the this is fine the the standard. See, but Simone, that really that gets into my question because I don't I I legitimately swear to God do not understand. 
who the Mac Pro is for these days, except for people like me. Because it, yeah, I think it definitely is for people like you. Because I because yeah, video 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 stuff, is fine like, on the I iMac. Have, I have a 2013 MacBook Pro, a $600 Lacey SSD, um, you know, external drive that goes through some Thunderbolt. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, it's not the fastest thing ever, but it's completely usable. Um, yeah, so, I think your I mean, point that, yeah, like, this is for yeah. people who are doing really intense 3D work and that that is that's a small group of people that is not that does not intersect very often with people who are writing about tech or people who right. like work in media companies because it's so specific and so requires such powerful tools. Um, so yeah, how does the other I, side I, live? <laughs> I, I could see I could see do you do anything with compressor? Is that in your pipeline or whatever the Adobe equivalent is for color correction? I, no, I, I just use the the tools that it, that Premiere uses or has built in. I, I can see with some 4K people in HDR work, like with mm. large amounts of footage in films, I can see that getting processor intensive, but it's But then just, we have um, their new yeah. iMac that's coming out. So theoretically, right. that can handle that workload. Yeah. Well, I, well, I don't get it. <laughs> I, am, I am excited to see what they, I hope it's pretty. I'm sure what they bring out will be pretty, and I'm excited to lay my eyeballs on it. And in the meantime, I'll be laying my body on a Casper mattress. Because <laughs> this episode segue. of Rocket is brought to you by Casper, and my bed was brought to me by Casper in a box. Casper has created the perfect mattress. Oh my God, my mom is coming over this weekend, and I'm so she's never laid on a Casper mattress before, and I can show her. I literally just, this just <laughs> occurred to me right now oh my god so casper mattresses they come in a box like that you can lift or that you can uh whimper as you drag it behind you because it's pretty heavy because there's a whole freaking mattress in there and it's vacuum sealed and then you like open it up and it poofs right in front of your eyes it's an award-winning mattress it was developed in-house it has a sleek design it is designed also to keep you cool in the hot hot nights and it is made in america but New development, Casper now ships to the UK as well as the US and Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So Huge. any UK listeners out there, you too can enjoy marshmallow mattresses that come to you in a blue and white striped box. Yes. So a team of engineers spent thousands and thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress that you will lay down on without a thought in your head except, oh my God, it's so comfy. I, I don't think you're doing a disservice to them by not having a thought in your head because you, you all you want to do is sleep and like they've accomplished their job. They feel great pride in that, I think. And the mattress is at a shockingly fair price. Um, it is a, honestly, it's a delight to sleep on. Uh, I really love mine and uh, I have really enjoyed having people come into my room and then like lie on it and then talk about how great it is. And then I'm like, yeah, I know I sleep on that. So <laughs> super cool. It's a super great mattress. I really enjoy it. Um, And like I said, you now in the UK, you can get your hands and your body on this mattress too. Their online average of use score is 4.8. That's amazing. Who are those? Who are those like outliers? Who are you people? That's a high... High, uh, high heck score. I'm not swearing. I almost swore. High butt. It doesn't work if you don't use the swear. It's a high score. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, I, th- I I hope you all understand the swear that I was going for there. It's oh, dash and a synonym for butt. Hi. Anyway, so can we say arse? Arse. Can we? We'll find I think out. We can when we'll this episode out. goes through editing. <laughs> There's there's the anatomy of the Simone ad read. It starts with the the weird segue, and then it starts very Anne Hathaway, very professional, and then it breaks down at the end into these weird segues where the it just it's like it's like the joke collapsing. It's like the improv theater troupe falling apart, and it's just a beautiful arc to see every week. It's like the black hole collapsing as your ship is trying to escape from it, and you're getting dragged back in, and you can't quite get free. Um, Anyway, so (laughs) moving back to. <laughs> sucking you back into the black hole. If you don't love it, you get a full refund. You get a hundred night home trial, perfectly like free with free delivery. So there is no reason not to check this out. This wonderful, glorious marshmallow mattress. Um, I hope you like it. And you can get fifty dollars towards any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com/rocket and using the offer code Rocket. Thank you so much. For letting me butcher your words on this podcast. And for this wonderful mattress that I love. Never change. No. Never change. Never no. change. No. Ever. Ever. I'm Ever. glad that on this good professional smart person show, you let me say the things that I say. Uh, yeah. I mean, we, 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 yeah. we need you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you do. You're the secret sauce. You are. You are you are the whopper sauce. I am that saucy. makes Rocket such a, a delicious are- bad for you burger every yeah. week. Yeah. You are you're the whopper sauce. You're 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 the Szechuan chicken nugget sauce that that uh that Rick and Morty wants uh to, to bring back. I haven't watched Rick and Morty. Your words you- are lost on me, Christina Warren. Okay, well you have to. They're they're airing it every night at ten I this know, week. I've heard really good things. It's really good and, and, and there's now kind of a campaign to bring back this Szechuan uh chicken nugget sauce that uh, McDonald's sold twenty years ago when Mulan was in theaters. Oh my god. Wow. Well, that was nineteen years ago, which makes me feel old. Oh my god. Yeah. You're making me hungry. But first <laughs> the people need to know. Uh Back to streaming music news here on Rocket. Spotify has a new deal with uh, Universal Music Group uh, where now paid users uh, will get the first two weeks or paid users will have access to new albums for the first two weeks of release before free users of Spotify get to listen to those albums. So this is yet another little shift to the revenue model for online streaming, and I oh, personally yeah. think it's a great one. Yeah, it's good, but it's a huge concession on um, on Sp- uh, behalf of Spotify. Mm-hmm. So to give a little bit of background, you know, Spotify for years has been fighting what's uh, kind of the, the, the practice known as, as windowing. And you see this... Um, what, how we've traditionally seen windowing is that um, uh, an album will appear on premium-only services, so it might be a title exclusive or an Apple Music exclusive or an Amazon, um, you know, uh, m- uh, music uh, all-access exclusive, and then it would find its way after a few weeks or months to um, other platforms. So, uh, you know, Adele's uh, 25 was not on Spotify for a long time, um, and, um, th- you know, uh, uh Chance the Rapper's album debuted on Apple Music first and then went to other platforms. And part of the reason that that happened 
um, was A, that those other music services would, would give the labels and the artists money. And then part of the reason was that some of the artists like, like Adele, like Taylor Swift, have said, I don't like the fact that my music, my album is available to people who don't pay for a service and are just part of the Spotify pre-plan. And, and people, you know, the artists have been asking Spotify to say, hey, we want our, we'll put our music on your service, but only if it's only available to people who pay. And Spotify has been like, no, we we want it available to everyone. And that's not how our model works. And and you get so many more benefits from being on our platform by getting so much additional audience reach. Just just do it. And and some are you know some art most artists will do it, but many have kind of been hesitant to do it. And and that was one of the big things that that Taylor Swift when she uh, pulled her music off of Spotify. Um, back in 2014 uh, was was complaining about it. And it was also kind of part of her original critique of, of Apple Music, uh, which, of course, Apple ended up uh, going um, go- fixing. But mm-hmm. um, so this is a really big concession because it's basically saying that for that artists can have at their at their discretion it's an opt-in thing um it, and i'm sure that it'll really be down to the artist and and whatever their you know a their their, their a and r and and um you know label management team um says can basically say okay the album comes out this date it's on spotify and if you subscribe to spotify you can access it now um but if you are on the free plan you're not gonna be able to access it for two weeks so mm-hmm. it, it's basically creating an additional incentive for people to subscribe and also giving um, artists who, you know, maybe want to push people into buying their albums rather than uh, just streaming them for free, um, you know, uh, an opportunity to do that. So to me, this feels like a really a, a good middle ground. And I'm, I'm I know it is a big concession for Spotify, but it, it to me, it feels looking at the other landscape of spotify's competitors like apple apple music you can get that free trial but then you have to start paying right. title you're if i understand correctly you have to pay and it's just yep. it's so it's so locked down spotify you can get a crap ton of stuff for free but this uh, two weeks to me is a long enough time that people will be like maybe i should you know check out this check out this paid tier that i don't have access to if it's something really big but short enough time that you can, like, people won't be super, super angry about it, I hope. Like, two weeks is not a terrible amount of time to wait to listen to a new album. I think if, unless you're, like, a mega fan, you probably forget that something comes out and you miss that release window entirely. So I, I think it's a, a good conservative amount of time, you know, to, to let something be available to paid people only. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a nice uh, trade off, you know. And, and and some artists, obviously, I think would have wanted more time. I think Adele, I think it was six or seven months for twenty five before it was available on Spotify. And, Come and I think on. Some, well, I mean, <laughs> I know she's but, Adele. <laughs> well, I know, but 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 you know, um, some people might want more time. I, but I agree with you. I think it, it's a uh, I think two weeks is a good time because it helps get the hype of the album out, and for people who really want to listen to it right then and right there, it's going to incentivize them more so to say, hey, maybe I want to. Uh, upgrade to, to, to Spotify premium. And I think it also gives, you know, Spotify people who are paying for Spotify an additional incentive to stay subscribed, right? Because one of the difficult things that, that Spotify has is their free product is so good. If you are on the desktop, there's not a huge reason for you to upgrade. Um, this is this is good for that. Um, it's interesting as part of the deal too. Uh, let me find the, 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 the press release, uh, follow the statement. Um, 
Is this about the revenue sharing? Yeah. No, this is about the, the data sharing. It says, uh, the new agreement will also provide UMG, that's the Universal Music Group, with unprecedented access to data, creating the foundation for new tools for artists and labels to expand, engage, and build deeper connections with their fans. So this is, I mean, what this really comes down to is that, you know, they needed to renegotiate Universal's contract and Universal came back and said, well, we want these things. And Spotify is clearly looking at going public and is like, okay, well, we can't lose the biggest far and away the biggest music label so we need to make sure um we're making them happy and so not only are we going to give them the opportunity to windows stuff for two weeks but we're also going to be sharing listening data which mm. is something that the labels have really really wanted um and and that artists have wanted to they want more insights into the types of people who are listening to their stuff and and how long and, and things like that so that they can better market things or, or better target things. So I think it's interesting, but it's it was just it was it's such kind of a one eighty from what Spotify's stance has been. I think this just shows you know, kind of going back to the article that, that we talked about last week where I was kind of talking about how screwed the various services are. This is very clearly Spotify not wanting to be in that screwed list, which <laughs> if it means if it means, you know, <laughs> they read your cons- article and they were like, dang. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think it was that at all. But I think it's more like making concessions and realizing we have to we have to work together. What'll be interesting for me to see, I think, is that what artists will choose to do this and what won't. I have a feeling that the bigger artists, you know, the, the Adele's, the Taylor Swift's, the Beyonce's, uh, that possibly the Ed Sheeran's, it, you know, those types of people will in the future probably may, maybe the Drakes, you know, do like the two week. Um, premium only thing Mm -hmm. but there are other artists because at this point the billboard charts really give a lot of credence to streaming figures and so you you would wonder for for certain artists who maybe want to chart based um you know and are only going to chart based on streams if they would be willing to forego the potential bump that they would have from all listeners on spotify for just the, the the streaming only listens, and, and obviously, you know, Apple uh, has gone out of their way. You know, Apple and Spotify have had kind of this little back and forth about who's getting breaking the most streaming records regarding Drake and, <laughs> and things like that. And, it is, and, it's, and it's a it's a silly it's a silly silly thing. To show, oh, we got this many streams from OVO Radio, and we got this many things from like you know this and this and this, and um, it's uh, it, it comes down to silliness, but really. So many, you know, artists are charting because of streams. You do wonder, like, if it's going to become a calculated risk, do we make ourselves available for that initial two weeks for everybody so that we can chart? Or do we want to try to push higher revenues um, oh, both from the premium streaming That's like and the devil's bargain stri- right there? Basically, yeah. I mean, and so, again, I think that your bigger artists are definitely going to be like, well, look, we'll sell in retail, we'll sell in iTunes. Mm-hmm. And and we'll get the streams regardless because you know I'm I'm whoever. Uh, but but smaller artists who maybe are getting a lot of hype might might, might look at it and go, eh, do I want to give up the potential oh, yeah. to to debut Definitely. on the charts? You yeah, know what like I mean? thinking about that as a as an indie artist, I would not have that two week blocked out premium period. I would just go for maximum like publicity potential. You know, part of the reason I subscribe to Apple Music, and maybe this is naive, but, you know, after the whole Taylor Swift thing, I kind of, um, I feel like it 
it made me feel less guilty about paying $10 to basically stream all music everywhere. You know, like um, it's really brutal for artists, like even well-known people, like you'll read, uh, you know, interviews with them in Rolling Stone and they'll talk about how they don't make any money at all from people actually listening to their music. And that's why they have to, you know, go on tour like nonstop. So yeah, for me, I constantly feel feel bad about that. So I think it's really going to be interesting to see, um, you know, if this does manage to attract um, you know, really big names, Christina. But at the same time, it's like I was I was reading the article you linked to, and they were talking about how streaming was the only part of their business that grew, and how that was the only yeah. um, the the only you know source of revenue that was actually growing. In the music industry, I was yeah. just thinking how sad that is. But, you know, the truth is, like, I probably, I mean, back in the 90s, I easily spent, uh, well, not the 90s, because Napster was around. In the mills, <laughs> I would easily spend $100 a month on music. And now, I, I bet it's not $100 a year for individual yeah. albums. No, same. There, there were times I would do that in a month. I, I would buy so much new music from iTunes, and this is in the 2000s, you know, and, yeah. and I would spend so much money on that. And now, I mean, I okay, I subscribe to Spotify, I subscribe to Apple Music, and, and I've talked before about why I do that. I actually was still a title subscriber and I just canceled because I haven't used Aww, it in a year. Congrats. <laughs> um, yeah. C- c- congrats to Christina a year later for finally canceling after the, uh, after you listened to Lemonade on the service once. Then I bought it on iTunes. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I forgot what I was saying, but yeah, I mean, the, the, everything has shifted. You know, you and I, Brie, were like people who would buy a lot of music, but I think the average price, I mean, they, they've done things before, like the average consumer would buy something like, like like three or four albums a year, and so if you if, which which if you but here's the thing if if you're to to put the that in 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 monetary terms, um, if you spend ten dollars a month on a streaming music service, you're actually for a lot of people you're spending more money a year on music than you were if you were buying a la carte, and, and, that's and I think that's definitely one of the true why for me. Like minus the period when I bought really fancy K-pop albums for a couple years. Because there's just not a lot of value, I think, in, in buying physical music unless something really, really special is offered with that album or yeah. unless it's a collection thing. Totally. Um, I mean, I, I think I think that's why vinyl is yeah. uh, has been so successful is because people like the physical quality. They like the throwback. They like the analog sound. Um, sometimes you get bonus tracks. And, and so there's something special to it. I mean, I'll buy like Taylor Swift, um, at, you know, at Target so I get the you bonus tracks. You nerd. I am, but like I'll also, but I'll also find a way to like download it too. You know what I mean? I'm like, it's, it's, it's like I'm probably, I probably have never put the 1989 CD in um, a CD player, even though I had it. <laughs> I like bought it because I want it the ding out. ding thing on my phone, but I don't want to take enough space on my phone. I want to be streaming. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I think the thing too is that like once you get used to the idea of being able to listen to so much music and kind of anytime you want, it kind of changes the paradigm, right? Like, yeah. You know, you it, it's kind of like Netflix, you know, what, what Netflix and those services kind of did to like buying DVDs. Um, no, it's like, exactly the same, right? Like I used to, you know, you would buy shows so you would have them in your library to like rewatch them. I mean, it's Simone, this is why you've never had to do this because you, you haven't really ever been in an era where music was hard to get. Like yeah, nope. when, when Basic Instinct came out, there was a song that came on in like this dance club part of that movie. And I saw that as a teenager and I'm like, I love that song. And I couldn't get that song in the United States. I eventually found Channel X 
and this was PragaCon, and he released it on vinyl. And I got a vinyl like <laughs> record sent here. Then I had to go find a freaking radio record player and hook that up into RCA, and then somehow get this song into my computer because you couldn't just go onto YouTube and get it right. Like yeah, uh, no, it's exactly. it's different. Yeah, uh, well, that's why I mean, you have and, to and, buy it. And and I'm I'm a little younger than you, Brian. So we're we're like we were slightly different, like in in those times. But even I can I can share this embarrassing story. So before Napster, I mean, the way that you would get music cheaply was a service called Columbia House, where there would oh be my like God. Ten, yes. ten albums for a penny, oh and God. and 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 then you'd like open up multiple accounts in your dog's name, and and then your mom would be like, <laughs> "Why do we owe Columbia House X amount of money?" I'm like, "I don't know, Mom." Um, uh, Shadow Warren was like a real uh, like I legit had had a Columbia. <laughs> house account in that name but um i remember seeing boogie nights in the theaters when i was like in ninth like eighth or ninth grade and that that soundtrack had some really good music and so they had you know night ranger's sister christian is it was there but also jesse's girl by rick springfield now you have to understand this is right before napster so this is like a this is like maybe a year two years before napster and if i wanted to get a copy of the song you know jesse's girl I would have to either try to find like that album or, or whatever, or I would buy the soundtrack. Well, I remember buying the soundtrack for um, Boogie Nights from um, Columbia House in part because I wanted both Jesse's Girl and I wanted like the, the, the song Sister Christian. Only Sister Christian turned out to be on the soundtrack. I had no. to get the second edition, second yes. edition soundtrack to get oh, Jesse's Girl. that was Girl. so common. That was so common. But like common. it was, right? Oh. But, but that was the thing. You used to literally have to buy full CDs. To get get a single track, to get one song. And the thing is, that is why Napster was so successful. It wasn't because it was all free. That was part of it, right? Let's let's be real. It was. But a big part of it was that it was decoupling that whole thing. It was like what Mm -hmm. you were saying, Brie, like getting that song from Basic Instinct, like getting, you know, that song from Boogie Nights, finding that there was there was a a, a, a Bruce uh, Springsteen song that that uh, aired in the background of an episode of Dawson's Creek that was only available on a five disc set that he put out called Tracks. It was then later available on on a, a, a single disc thing called 18 Tracks. But like, <laughs> it, it was it was a very expensive box set, and like me, as, as, as like sixteen years old, was not able to afford it. So I found it on Napster, and I was like, "Hell yeah!" And, and that was and then, all Napster's for. Oh my god! And, like, and, I mean, you yeah. know, and well, and that was kind of the beauty of iTunes too, right? So when mm-hmm. iTunes launches in two thousand three, you immediately now have that ability to buy these songs a la carte, and you're not coupled to the album structure anymore. And that was revolutionary, and that was huge, and and that there was a big rise in music uh, for a while. I mean, the peak music period was 99,000 and that was when most CD sales happened but like and that was ironically the peak of Napster but like you know then you 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 separate the albums from tracks but then what's happened now is it's kind of a similar thing where you know in in the in the span of of 15 years we've gone from having to I've gone from having to buy music from you know Columbia House or I guess shoot got closer to 20 years this is really making me feel old. <laughs> um you know buying things from Columbia House to um being able to to download individual songs um, and, and buy them a la carte to now having paying a monthly subscription and getting access to all those songs. To too many songs. And then yeah, you have yeah. entire albums you haven't listened to. I know we've got to move on, but I yes. have to tell one thing really quickly. Of course. Christina, the other day, I found all 200 of my CDs from <gasps> that era Amazing. in my basement. Yes. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you, okay, so Simone, I know you don't know this, but like these days you would buy, you had to go to Walmart and buy like a hundred disc 
like set and then it would melt in your car and then the labels would get stuck to it and then you'd try cramming in the back of it if that ever got stolen all of your music was gone all your music was gone and that happened to a lot of my friends like people would break into people's cars and steal their steal their 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 cd deck but then take their cds and like that was it was always worse to get your CD stolen than even like your CD player. What is okay. happening? This is, this is the story. This is the story. <laughs> so I actually went through that. I started listening to all the songs from like the late 90s, like when I was in high school. And I'm like, leave those memories undisturbed. Like, don't go back and actually listen to those songs again because it is so much. Like some of them, like This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan. That's oh, yeah. legit. New Jack City. One of the first legit. MP3s I ever downloaded. Oh my God. But like London Beat. Like <laughs> I am deeply embarrassed to have that even in my basement under a bunch of boxes. Like uh yeah, I can't. So if I your house just catches like fire blue, and burns down yeah. in the next couple days. Yeah. We won't ask questions. No, don't ask any yeah, questions. You, yeah, yeah, you know what I found recently, Brie? I found a well, mini disc that had a bunch <gasps> of stuff on it, it, a bunch of MP3s that I had from high school. And yeah, I found like Eiffel 65 is blue. <laughs> oh. And, 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 and like um, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the song You and Me, Baby Ain't Nothing But Mammals. So, you oh, know, okay. that's a great song. Oh, no. <laughs> that is a great song. That's I can't a great judge song. you. Can't you know what? What's blue? Da ba dee, da ba die? Yeah, yeah, that's Eiffel 65. The uh, men's yeah. version of the Make It Weird t-shirt on oh. teespring.com. <laughs> Woo! So, uh, unfortunately, the blue in the fitted uh, cut was discontinued, but you can get the Make It Weird t-shirt, teespring.com slash makeitweird. Uh, it comes in purple and two shades of gray. Uh, unfortunately, we cannot afford the full 50 of the shades of gray. But you get two shades, two different shades of gray for the fitted tees. <laughs> and um, two shades of gray, purple and blue for the loose fit uh, Make It Weird t-shirts. I am so happy that these are back in people's hands. This promotion is only running till April 20th, 420 blaze it. 420! I did, I <laughs> forgot to, I didn't even know, I didn't notice last time. Now I know, now I know it goes to 420 blaze it. I'm never going to forget. Get your t-shirt, $23. That's the for, for both fitted and loose. Yes, yes. I already got mine. I paid $4 more to have it rush shipped to me. Yeah, I regret nothing. Which it's, color did you get so this time? Awesome. I got purple. Come oh, on. Okay. Like, purple is yeah. the weirdest color. I, I mean, love, you know? I already have a purple one, but I got another yeah. one. I was like yeah. done doing it. Just in case. I don't know, but I, I already have a shirt in that exact shade of purple. Would that be weird if I had two purple, no. bright purple t-shirts? No, smell. No. It would be no. weird if you didn't. Fair enough. I think I'd look very good in that dark gray, though. I look good. Yeah, I think I, I, I think I'm gonna get one of those too. I'm I'm gonna like end up like just buying all the shirts. Yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, every it's our every show. shade it's of the rainbow. Teespring.com slash make it weird. Get your t-shirts. And uh as our final dessert topic for the week, we're going to talk about the video game Persona oh. 5. Oh, yes. which I is, do not have a PlayStation, so I need to hear from you guys. Oh, Christina, is this, this is worth getting PlayStation 4. Hand <laughs> okay. to God. Okay, I am okay, not lying. Okay. It is that good. It is game of the decade. It is so freaking good. I Can mean, we actually so- like talk about how many good freaking games we've had this year? Not to yeah. completely derail that, but this is like the fifth or sixth just like solidly good game we've had in 
three months going on month four of video games in 2017. So much. Thank you, video games, for saving 2017. I got an email from Oculus today. They finally uh, released uh, Rock Band VR, right? So nice. when you bought the Oculus, they gave you like this piece of hardware to go with it that will clip onto a Rock Band guitar. And I'm just like, I can't even care because Horizon is out and Zelda <laughs> is out and like Persona 5. You know, Mass Effect. But we're going to talk about Persona 5. So you've played this, right, Simone? No, because it's freaking downloading right now oh on my, my freaking PS4, oh my and it's God. taking 70 years. I just, okay, so I know you well enough to know you will love this game more than you have ever loved any game. This I is the most that. Simone game ever. It is. Oh, my God, it's good. Um, it's so stylish. So this this is what I'm most excited about for Persona 5. Um is that my least favorite part of Persona 4 is the dungeons, which you yep. you got to go in there, you know, to f- save people's lives, level up, et cetera, et cetera. They are randomly generated, and there are encounters, I swear to God, every two steps. And so I, at the point where I was at in Persona 4, I just resorted to just blazing past the enemies yep. and just be like, no, I can't fight you right now. Sorry, I'm busy. Um, I'm sure that'll have repercussions later. But so they've completely, they, they basically fixed that pacing problem with Persona 5, uh, which yep. I'm so happy about. Because I don't so play this game we, to do can, turn-based battles. Oh. I'm sorry, I don't. I play yep. it to uh, build friendships and kiss. So that's, can we like take a step back and like explain to people what Persona is? So, you can take that, that one because yeah. this is a weird So, so this is, um, you have to look at Atlas in like the, a bigger, a bigger view. You know, Squaresoft, Squaresoft in the nineties could do no wrong. Like they yeah. shipped Final Fantasy. There are a million Chrono smaller Trigger. games, right? Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross. They made so many epic games in that era. Um, I think it's fair to say somewhere since then they lost their way from the golden era. Um, Atlas is really today's Squaresoft. They do um, really unapologetically hardcore games, but unapologetically story-based games. And you know, like if you look at Mass Effect, it is an open-world game with a lot of narrative built into it. This is a exquisitely crafted visual novel that you are going through that is every single day is scripted and you have agency in every day, but it's a very, very deep story about um, basically teenagers that are really uncomfortable with the roles that like society thrust them into. And um, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's like beautiful design wise. Like they find powers inside themselves and explore dungeons. And it's ultimately a, um, it's a time management simulator. So you have to choose if you're going to go build up a relationship with a friend or go study for a test. Um, So you're always trying to maximize the use of your time. And it's just really, really incredibly well done uh, stories. Does that sum it up, Simone, do you think? That sums it up really freaking well, actually. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Not getting sidetracked by any of the supernatural mumbo-jumbo there, going right for the core. I like it that you cut to the heart of it. But it's, you know, Christy, I know you can appreciate this, because, like, as an Apple person, you appreciate clean UI. Definitely. 
Persona is, there's not a UI person in the industry that shouldn't be beating down Atlas's door to go work on Persona because they don't give a flying f***. <laughs> they don't. Like, it is stylish and ridiculous menus and, like, to go to like the the screen, like you'll see a character spin around and like his hand will be on the screen and then you're going through each of his fingers for a menu option. They randomly like differently capitalize words and primary character names. It's it is just visually amazing all the interface of this game in a way that's stylish and completely useless. <laughs> so it's it's like the the polar opposite of Apple, and it's just breathtaking. To it's see. really stunning. Can we talk about a, a kind of a strange thing that Atlas, a strange decision that Atlas has made? Uh, which, if you uh, follow the game, you know it's been out in Japan since the fall since fall of 2016. Uh, so Atlas is not allowing or asking people not to stream the English release of the game to prevent spoilers, quote-unquote, from leaking out for a game that has been out in Japan and, like, has, you know, been spoiled for, like, five or six months. And I, it's just... Atlas is so, so far ahead in so many things, and I love their games. I think they do great freaking work. But in some ways, like, the understanding of the online community around games, um, not just for Atlas, but like also for companies like Nintendo is so backwards. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's kind of a short-sighted decision by some lawyers and some marketing people, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like the purpose to play is to experience the story, right? But you just, it's just a losing battle. It mm -hmm. just, it, it's, it's, it doesn't serve Nintendo and it's not going to serve them here either. Mm -hmm. Especially like they're, basically all they can do is they're threat threatening is a strong word but they're saying that they that if you stream past a certain date in the game you will get a you could get a content id strike against your account which like that's for yeah. a youtuber especially like if they do end up doing that that for a youtuber to get strikes on their account is really really crappy because it puts their livelihood in in question sure so that's it's interesting. Also, that you can't share anything through the PS4 UI because they've disabled the sharing button. It's, it's really awkward, too, because it keeps popping up as you're trying to play. So, yeah, that was just a, a bad call. Um, so do you think I, they'll do you think yeah. they'll renege on that? Because that's that seems really anti like I, yeah, gamer. I think the like, blowback. It yeah, it's been pretty bad. Yeah. I mean, Simone, you have a better sense than I do. Yeah, it's just like it, it doesn't make any sense because the the standard at this point is. When the game comes out, you can share it. And, you know, if it's not hard to avoid spoilers, in my experience, uh, even if people are posting full playthroughs and tweeting about it and stuff. So it, it's just a it's a strange decision on the part of somewhere, somewhere in that in that uh, company. Um, but like the game itself, I'm so excited to play it. Um, it's really good. It's yeah. really good. I have to say one more thing about the game. Um, now that I'm actually playing it, um, you know, there is very often in you know really hardcore Japanese games, there's a lot of content that's really uncomfortable for me as a Westerner to to experience. Like, you know, hypersexualization of very young girls is very common in Atlas games. 
Um, what I really appreciate about Persona Five is, um, you know, the characters are there, and like sex is a key part of of Atlas games, but it's way, way, way toned down. It's not, it's not gross, and it's more about narrative this time around than it is about exploitation if that makes sense that's awesome so this is um it's a game that just feels a lot less gross to play than frankly persona 4 ever did like which was an amazing game so um i think i don't know if it's the translation team or just you know the industry itself growing up some but i think um it's a great um it, it it's good because it lets them talk about all these themes these really very serious themes like sexual abuse and um you know sexual harassment like that's all there and they really treat the people experiencing it as as people so it's it's not like artistically limiting them. It's just not as exploitive as it has been. That's in the awesome. Past. Yeah, Are you saying that it's okay that. to address sex in video games? I'm a sex what? positive feminist. Oh I'm my all god. For that oh my yeah. god. <laughs> I've never heard. I'm gonna have to think on this for a while. Uh, Christina, why don't you tell us what you're up to this week while I ponder the universe? <laughs> so I'm, uh, I'm I'm working on a couple of uh, things I can't talk about. Although one thing I I can, that by the time you listen to this, it should be on the site. Uh, YouTube just launched a new um, live TV product. It's only in five cities and it doesn't have all the channels it's going to have yet. But um, I'm working on a little quick kind of review on that to see how it compares to DirecTV Now and PlayStation View and and Sling TV. Um, so uh, I look for that, and I've got some other stuff in the pipeline. Cool, Brianna. What about you? Uh, straight talk. I am fighting something off from shaking so many hands. Oh, so boy. Uh, I will be on the oh, couch no. playing Persona 5 and <laughs> trying to get back on my feet. So uh, that is honestly what I'm doing this week and missing a bunch of deadlines. So cries. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, during the Casper ad read, the award winning Casper ad read, my mom is coming into town tomorrow and I'm so excited Yay! to uh, do the laundry that I forgot to do so that she can sleep <laughs> on nice clean sheets instead of my filth sheets. Um, and, uh, sh show her around the town. Um, she's been here before, but like, there's some things that she hasn't seen, like the High Line, which I don't think was here last time she was in New York. Um, yeah, we're gonna have a lot of fun. And I'm also frantically working on episode two of SEO Play, which goes up Monday, or episode two of season two of SEO Play. Someone forgot that she'd be out to one and a half days this week. Um... Yep. So that's I was so good. happy to see that on Twitter. I was so happy to see people talking about the that. The response has made me yep. so happy. Uh if you do so if you go to youtube.com slash polygon, you can watch uh the latest episode, the first episode of season two of SEO play, my show where I answer questions about video games from the internet. It features me cutting a, a copy of Persona 5 into tiny pieces and eating it. So there's no reason for you not to watch that with your eyes. You, you have to. It's actually, it is the law. Yes. By the time you listen to this, uh, the government will have announced that it is a law that you have to watch my show. So, like, I don't make the rules. I just let the rules dictate my fame and fortune, people. So, you know, thank you for all your support. Uh, you got me where I am today. Um, Brianna, where can we find you online? 
uh, working feverishly on that very legislation for I'm elected to uh, Congress. Thank and you. you can also see me at Space Cat Cal on Twitter. You can expect my illegal dollars uh, in your basement. Uh, Christina, where <laughs> no, can you no, find no. you? No, no, no. We have to say that's, there that's are, not something I can There were no illegal okay, dollars. And there have never been any Simone, dollars legal right, or illegal. Right. right. Okay. Christina, where can we find you online? <laughs> you can find me at film underscore girl on the Facebook, the Twitters, the Instagrams. And or the the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Snapchats. I'm Christina What on about Facebook. the Mastodons? Oh yeah, you know what? I'm not on a Mastodon. I uh, I'm not even bothering with that. I'm, I'm not Mastodon. It, it, it's it's the new app.net, except oh, no. it doesn't cost money. Yeah, but it, exactly, it's like open source decentralized Twitter. I had no, to grab my username though. I haven't even I mean, logged I w- in. I just like signed up for the username, and I was like, I my was job here is done. To, I was oh, going to, but then God. like the big instance was like full. So I wasn't able to sign up for it, and I don't really want to sign up for the meme-tastic space, Mastodon. I'm all, I am I don't know. Does, like, your username work across all of them? Oh. I don't know. I don't know. I, it, it, it's, it's, too, it's, like, too much like Diaspora, and, like, I, 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 I'm, I'm not into it. Listen, when the Great Flood comes and I'm riding the Mastodon to safety, I will look down and I will laugh upon you. No, I won't, because I, I, I... Anyway, well, anyway... What is, can I send you illegal dollars, Christina? I don't know. You can find me at youtube.com slash polygon. You can find me on Twitter at Doom Quasar. Um, anywhere else you find a Doom Quasar, it's probably me too. Um, and thank you, of course, as usual, for listening. Oh, my God. This is a terrible idea. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm looking at Mastodon. This is horrible. Oh my yeah. god. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's it's decentralized Twitter. It, it's it's you know. I'm whatever. actually really it, curious about it now. I, I, okay, no, this is the problem. So this is a problem. When I signed up for it, uh, LastPass for some reason did not save the auto-generated <sighs> password. And usually, I'll like copy it and. Right. After it's auto-generated, just in case. I forgot to do that this time. So I actually probably cannot log into my log Mastodon in. without doing password recovery. So uh, I will never log in because I'm lazy. Uh, R.I.P. me. Um, R.I.P. Leave Doom a Quasar. review for the show. Uh, if you know my password for Mastodon, just drop it there. Like, I'll come pick it up. It's fine. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. Like, no one reads those things anyway, except me. So put put the password there. Put your passwords there too, um, and your credit card numbers, etc. You know, it's not a big deal or anything. Uh, we love reviews. We love especially um, five star, like six figure salary reviews from you. Give me, give me your bank account. Um, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you all. This episode of Rocket is terminated. Very terminated. <laughs> terminated. <laughs>